0: Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. And as Richard mentioned, we're dealing with today the medical and diagnostic mycobacteriology of importance to clinician and pathologist, the invasion of the red snappers. No need to introduce myself, I've been here forever and um, I enjoy dealing with uh, presidents and fellows every time there's an opportunity. So this is the scheme that we'll follow today. I'll start like I always start every one of my review lectures with an overview and some general considerations, in this case, in identifying mycobacteria. We'll then go to the comprehensive classification tables that places all of the mycobacteria of human importance in a way that we can memorize them. Stains are very important for this uh, kind of microorganism, so we'll deal with the stains used for identifying mycobacteria. Section four is the most complicated area, which is common diagnostic methods that are used in a wet mycobacteriology laboratory. And I'll conclude with part five, which is infectious disease pathology of the genus Mycobacterium, in terms of some of the histopathologic and cytologic findings. So let's start with our few general considerations and an, our overview of this broad area called mycobacteriology. Okay, so we're dealing with acid fast aerobic bacilli within the order Actinomycetales, suborder corinibacterini, the family is Mycobacteriaceae, and the genus is Mycobacterium. Historically there's two important primary human pathogens, and they are Mycobacterium tuberculosis, the Koch bacillus, and Mycobacterium lepra, the Hansen's bacillus. Now, disease by Mycobacterium tuberculosis is indistinguishable from disease caused in humans by Mycobacterium bovis, which is of bovine origin. That may not be extremely important in the United States, but I can tell you that in places like South America, Colombia, for example, there's a lot of pulmonary disease by M. bovis, so it becomes of great importance there. Now, there are closely related agents genetically that will lump under a term called the MTB complex, and that involves MTB, bovis, M. bovis BCG, bacillus of Kalmet and Guerin that has been used for many, many years as in the developing world, at least as a vaccine for tuberculosis. And then some additional rare ones, M. Microti, N Africanum, and Kineti. Most of the amplification methods used in the US that are FDA approved are directed against MTB complex. And in our country, perhaps a positive for MTB complex means MTB most times, but that is not the way it is in the rest of the world where such PCR methods have to be then developed to be very specific to the different agents within the MTB complex. Okay, about a third of the entire world population is infected with MTB, and it accounts for over three million deaths every year. Rates in the US began to climb in 1985, corresponding to the rise of MDR or multi-drug resistant strains, and with HIV. There was an eventual emergence of XDR TB strains or extremely drug resistant, and even exceptionally rare reports of TDR TB strains, or totally drug-resistant TB. Now, let's define MDR-TB and then XDR-TB using the traditional um, definition and then throw in some of the August 2018 WHO recommendations for modern MDR-TB treatment. So, there is primary drugs traditionally streptomycin, INH, rifampin, ethambutol, and P Y R, and secondary drugs, which originally were some of the older quinolones like, like ciprofloxacin and ofloxacin, and some of the aminoglycosides like canamycin, amikacin, capromycin, and then others. The original definition of MDR TB was resistance to rifampin and is the two primary drugs of choice against TB. And in 8, 2018, the newest WHO MDR-TB treatment guidelines suggest that we use for such agents, uh, newer drugs in each of the categories. So instead of just Cipro or Oflox, certainly we now have Levo or Moxifloxacin, for example and they suggest that five or more drugs with different working mechanisms be used at the same time for that type of resistance. XDR-TB has been traditionally defined as an MDR-TB plus resistance to at least one of the injectables, which had been traditionally aminoglycosides, plus resistance to one of the quinolones, the old ones certainly, or perhaps even the new ones. So that is an object in evolution. As more drugs come up, definitions certainly change. Now, avium intracellular complex is one of the most common agents of mycobacterial enterocolitis. And then lastly, my last point here in the quick overview is concerning leprosy. The the etiologic agent is M. lepra. There are two main clinical forms of this disease. For a clinical dermatologist, there are in fact many forms because there's many of these intermediate stages or classifications. For a microbiologist like me, the two main ones on each extreme are good enough, and they're called lepromatous and tuberculoid, and I'll define those at the end of the presentation. This aging cannot be cultivated in artificial medium. Accurate diagnosis relies on a skin biopsy that is compatible with the clinical picture, and the organism traditionally has been cultivated in the foot pads of mice or in armadillos. Okay, that's enough for a very quick overview. Let's jump into the classification tables of microbacteria of human importance. Okay, so how are you gonna break down all the microbacteria in ways that we can remember for practice and for boards? Two big groups, the MTP complex and everything else. MTP complex includes TB, bovis, BOBI's BCG, Microti africanum and kineti. Everything else is what we call NTMs, non-tuberculous mycobacteria, also known by some other authors as MOTTs, mycobacteria other than tuberculosis, atypical, opportunistic, environmental, because that's basically where they come from, or even other lesser known classifications. Now let's talk about the non-tuberculous mycobacteria. They are further subdivided into subgroups. But the problem we have in 2019 is that we still use two old original 1959 phenotypic subjective criteria given to us by Dr. Ernest Runyon, who was a botanist. And it was really revolutionary at the time But in an era like now where we love objective, genotypic criteria to break down all of our bugs, it's not good enough. But that's where we are for the time being until we know the genomics of all of the agents and can then reclassify them accordingly. So what were those two original phenotypic criteria that Dr. Runyon used? First, growth on solid media in zero to seven days or more than seven days. We have a problem right now. The CAP requires every laboratory to use broth media that has a faster time to positivity. We need a, a solid medium as a backup, but the growth is first attained almost every time on broth media because they have that faster TTP. So right here, we're differing a little bit on that original definition. Number two, he used the production of a yellowish pigment in the presence or absence of light, because he took tubes of media, inoculated them, and he put foil around one tube and not around the other, and put those pairs inside of incubators with a little light inside, and he was gonna determine if yellowish pigments were produced in the absence of light under the foil or or in the presence of light or both. If we go that route in 2019 to identify a mycobacterium, I would be sued because that is extremely slow and right now we're in the era where I can do multiplex PCRs uh, in a syndromic format in an hour for 20 or plus targets um, and so on. So clearly this is in need of improvement, but that's where we are right now. Based on those two criteria, he broke all the NTMs for us into slow growers, and rapid growers. And the slow growers who further broke them down into groups one, two, and three of the Runyon groups, the photochromogens, scotochromogens, and the non-photochromogens. And then the rapid growers would be Runyon group four, which I'll define momentarily. So, if they grow in more than seven days on solid media, we'll break them down into photochromogens, which means pigment production in the light. So the colonies that develop pigment following exposure to light only. Scotochromogens, scoto means dark, so pigment production in the dark or light, so they're always pigmented. Colonies of NTMs that develop pigment in the dark or light. And the non-photochromogens are never pigmented. They're non-pigmented regardless of whether they grow in dark or light. So pigmented in the light only, pigmented in light or dark always, or never pigmented. And then separate from that other rapid growers, because we know by definition, they're gonna take less than seven days to grow. So based on that, here we ha- have a classification from Bailey and Scott, for example, one of the basic Um, traditional nice textbooks in microbiology. So we have the MTB complex, and then everything else, the NTMs, broken down into the slow-growings, photochromogens, scotochromogens, non-photochromagens, and then the rapid growers. There's a problem. For selected agents, since this is all subjective and phenotypic, there's variability in the classification amongst different authors. If I go to Kohneman's book, and if I go to DeMay's book, and if I look now at Bailey and Scott's, you'll see differences such as, for example, Simi. M. Simi has very unstable photoreactivity, and it's very, very slow to produce pigment. May take more than the six weeks that we traditionally um, incubate. So, Bailey and Scott's places it in the non never pigmented, but we know it will produce pigment if you leave it there a little longer because its photoreactivity is very unstable. So other books will classify it as a photochromogen And that's what happens when you're dealing with phenotypic changes, which eventually will not be an issue, but it is an issue now that we simply have to contend with In the interest of time, I just tell you that there's others like Solgi, Flavescence, and Thermoresistible that also offer differences according to which author is breaking them down. And then the rapid growers are the groups that includes fortuitum group, Chelone group, Abscessus group, and some of the others. So photochromogen, important ones for boards are things like Cansassia and Marinum. So they're unpigmented in the dark, and they're pigmented following light exposure. Scotochromogens, always pigmented, are pigmented in the dark and equally pigmented <clears throat> in the light exposure. Traditional ones include scrofulatium, scos of scrofula, and gordoni which is really non-pathogenic, but we use it in microbiology as an indicator of whether we need to use a more harsh uh, decontamination for our sputums. And the last one, non-photochromagens, unpigmented in the dark, and they remain unpigmented following light exposure. In very important one there are the complexes like MA complex or MAI complex, um, Haemophilum genovensi. And I throw this one in, uh, something very recent, because there are some boards where they want to see, not only if you know the traditional, but if you're up to date. Chimera came up in the New England Journal in um, about two years ago, in reports uh, spread from heating and cooling units in heart surgery. We now know that it can be spread from such units during cabbage surgeries. Um, that use those units to regulate the body temperature. Um, The paper tells us that they're all from one manufacturer in Germany. Somehow there was release of some of those agents in there and airborne transmission via aerosolization from the water tanks and those patients and then develop disease. Marinum, the fish tank granuloma. And for tutum and chelone, rapid growers in general, my message for the rapid growers is skin. They love skin. Um, post-sternotomy infections, post-surgical wound infections and so on. Um, many a times we deal with that in the clinical lab and it's uh, one of many of these uh, rapid growers. Okay, done with that. Let's move on to stains, which are very important for this kind of organism. Why are they so finicky? And why do we need to have a special stain? Because the walls of mycobacterium have a very high lipid content. These are long chain branched fatty acids that we know as mycolic acids. And they bind very strongly a red dye called fuchsin that we prepare by dissolving it in phenol. The other name of phenol is carbolic acid. So the red stain is called fuchsin. While gram positives have a lot of the peptidoglycan and gram negatives have a lot of LPS, Mycobacterium as the genus has a lot of these long mycolic acids that love to bind the red stain carbol And more, most interestingly is that these organisms do not lose that stain when an attempt at decolorization is made with a concentrated solution of acid alcohol, which usually consists of ethanol and a concentration of either hydrochloric acid or sulfuric acid. And thus, those agents are called acid fast. They hold on to the carbulfuxen in the presence of ethanol and acid. And they remain red and thus the term red snappers. The methylene blue counter stain will make the background blue. So what are the more frequently used stains for mycobacteria? I'm breaking them down here for you into the wet lab and into the counterpart in the dry lab in pathology. So it all started with Dr. Zeal and Nielsen, and they had developed a stain that uses fuchsin where you had to heat the slide that had the stain over a benzene burner. It was a pretty messy, but very powerful original stain, and they gave us the basis here. We have to be perpetually grateful. Then came uh, Kenyon and he made a modification so that you didn't have to heat with the messiness of it. And that one is called Kenyon's cold acid fast stain modification. And when we do an acid fast stain in the wet lab, it's a Kenyon. When we order an AFB stain in pathology, it's the counterpart in histo to Kenyon. Then came the next modification, Um, called the modified acid fast or nocardia stain for organisms that were very weakly acid fast and would lose the carbophubescent with a traditional strong decolorizer of alcohol and acid. I'll tell you how that modification came to be, but it's very effective. It's what we call the nocardia stain in the wet lab and what we call the fight stain for nocardia, and M. lepra, also known as the stain, in the tissue lab. Then the last one is one that's done for screening, a lot of smears for TB from the respiratory tract. Uh, It's it's a fluorescent stain that's a lot faster. It's the oramine fluorochrome stain, and there's pretty much no counterpart to that in histopathology. So quickly over each, the Zill nielsen is with heating, so it's a hot stain over a Benson burner with a harsh original decolorizer of Dr. Zeal-Nielsen, which is acid alcohol and methylene blue as a counter stain. Then came Kenyon and he used carbofuxine, but he used a more concentrated phenol and he added a little detergent. And it allowed the carloofuxin to go through those walls without heating. And that was revolutionary, it became a cold stain. He still decolorized with a harsher acid alcohol decolorizer and the same in blue counter stain. And that's the, what we call um, the fight stain in tissue. And that is a traditional Kenyan, which is an acid-fast bacillus, which is a long bacillus that stains like a red snapper. It's not filamentous branching like the athinomyceteles that I'll show you in the next slide, like Nocardia and so on, but they are long bacilli and they'll be beaded if I were to use oil to show you. And they will become clear soon why we call them beaded. And that's the modified acid fast or stain where we still use the carbulfuxene without heating of a Kenyan, but we decolorize with a milder agent. Why is it mild? Because there's no alcohol. And it uses a milder concentration of sulfuric acid. And we still use methylene blue as our counter stain. This is Nocardia. Nocardia, with a Gram stain, is filamentous, branching, beaded. When we use the modified acid fast stain or Nocardia stain, it then it then looks like a red snapper, not the red snapper with the long bacillus morphology of mycobacterium, but a red snapper with the morphology of Nocardia, which is a member of the Actinomycetales the higher bacteria that are filamentous branching. Nocardia is not finicky. We don't have a nocardia uh, medium. There it is growing on the lowenstein jensen medium for mycobacteria, the uh, green one. And this is the trans, uh, translucent one for fungi, the sabros, And it grows as very gritty, yellow to orange, very beautiful colonies that have body and will resist you with a, a wooden applicator. Then the last one is the oramine fluorochrome stain, where instead of um we use oramine dissolved in phenol, or oramine and the second one, rhodamine, dissolved in phenol. And it equally binds mycolic acids as did carbofuxent, but it's a fluorescent one. So you can use a fluorescent microscope and go very quickly through those smears. It decolorized with acid alcohol and the counterstain is permanganate, so that AFBs will be yellow if it is oramine or orange-yellow if it is bromine against a pitch black background from the permanganate. So yellow against black, and more often yellow orange with the two stains against the black background. Those are used for screening. I'm done with that, moving on to part four. Part four is uh, the more complex part. It's where the money is for a diagnostic microbiology laboratory. And those are the diagnostic methods used in a wet mycobacteriology laboratory. So you receive a sputum or respiratory sample for AAB workup. What now? Well, we're gonna follow our very busy summary table where I've pretty much um, broken down the more popular modern scheme for working up respiratory specimens submitted to rule out mycobacteria in a hospital-based laboratory. So, I'm going to make it easier for you by walking you through it with PowerPoint. So, we we'll receive a sputum from lavage, bronchial washings, brushings, or a biopsy in the laboratory. What now? We're going to homogenize it and treat it, and then do two things do an AB smear and take the rest and use it for culture in a broth based medium because we're required. By the CAP to have that, and then a solid plate backup. This mirror can be two things positive or negative. If it's positive, it means there's plenty of ABs there, so that's a great thing. We can go straight to nucleic acid amplification. If that's positive, it's an MTB complex, and basically we'll just wait for culture for susceptibility testing. If the A-B smear is positive, meaning there's plenty there, or your amplification for TB is negative, then it's probably an M-O-T-T. Or the rare case where sometimes we get an M-T-B there that didn't amplify despite the fact that there's plenty of it there. But most times these are MOTTs. So then there we wait for culture for both identification and susceptibility testing. What if it is A-B smear negative? That's the Achilles tendon of most of these amplification systems because there's gonna be very, very, very few bugs so that you don't even see them on the smear. There's a strong suspicion clinically, ID requests it, we'll do the amplification. And if it is positive, great, then just wait for culture for susceptibility testing but if it is negative, so you have very few bugs there, you do your PCR for MTB and it's negative, it could be an MOTT but it could still be an MTB because we know that the modern amplification systems that are now approved for AAB smears are about 80% sensitive. They pick up 80% of these but miss one in five. And in that case, we'll just wait for culture for both identification and susceptibility testing. Okay, in the meantime, the culture is cooking. The culture is now flagged as positive by the instrument. What would a large lab do? Well, so many large labs still have the DNA probes that are commercially available that have been around for a long time from the acuprobes for culture confirmation of a culture that's very positive, has plenty of bugs. It's not PCR, you don't need to amplify, the amplification came in culture. It's just probes for MTB complex, MA complex, MA, MI, Gordoni, Kansasiide. And if that's positive, then it's one of those, and then we just wait for susceptibility testing. If it is negative for that, then the labs have to proceed with, years ago, biochemicals. You don't do that in this country. They take too long and you get sued. We then move to HPLC, high-pressure liquid chromatography. That's not done hardly for my acids. What we're doing now is put it through pyrosequencing or next-generation sequencing, that's what the reference labs are doing, or for the smaller hospital labs, as we'll see in a few minutes, we got MALDI, which started for bacteria, and now there's modifications for yeasts, filamentous molds, and mycobacteria. So it's becoming a tremendously powerful tool for um, the regular-sized laboratory to do identification of even some of these agents. In the interest of time, I'll just tell you a few words on part one, which was the use of nucleic acid amplification straight from the clinical specimen, and two, which is culture in broad-based media with solid play backups, because there's a lot of questions still on pathology and ID boards on, on these kinds of technology. So let's let's say a few words about uh, nucleic acid amplification for MTB straight from a clinical specimen. The original FDA approval came only for smear positives. And that's obvious because the, um, the sensitivities were huge there. And for smear negatives, the sensitivities were not. Sensitivity with smear negatives was dismal. You can just flip a coin, 50%. Eventually, the companies enhanced their systems, and now they have become approved for smear negatives. Sensitivities are about 80%. Not totally satisfactory, but certainly much better. So, what's out there? Many things are out there. Roche has had uh, permutations of their original assays, such as we started with microwell plates, then went to the COBAS amplification, then the real time, such as light cycler and tagman, and so on. probe has had a very powerful transcription mediated amplification, another type of target amplification system that has gone through different permutations as has the NASBA system from BMRU, the probe tech from BD. And I must mention this very nice one that became available in the middle of 2013 in the US. It had been available in Africa for a long time and a very useful cartridge from Cepheid in the gene expert is the MTB RIF cartridge This is a sample-to-answer generation where you don't extract nucleic acid from a clinical sample and put purified nucleic acid in. You put in the clinical sample the sputum or the BAL. So that for a boonies type of laboratory was a godsend. And we have moved to the point that all of the uh, multiplex assays that I have in my lab are sampled to answer. Everything is placed in there, and the little instrument inside the cartridge extracts, amplifies, and detects in one hour for 20 to 30 targets. So it's unbelievable. So this is the cartridge that became available in the US in 2013 to our detection of MTB and resistance to rifampin. Um, the separate cartridges You've probably seen this come, these are the cartridges. If we're a small lab in a four cartridge bay, the middle middle size of 16 cartridge bay, and then in our lab we have the 48 cartridge bay, the infinity. So basically, sample to answer cartridge format extracts, real-time amplifies, and detects in less than two hours. So the the sputum basically is liquefied a a little bit to inactivate also the organism. And that crude sample, two mLs of it, is placed into the cartridge. Very, very quick, takes three minutes. And that's pretty much the end of any hand-on because it's placed in the platform where it will filter and wash the filter-captured organisms are broken up by lysis, DNA is released, and then the DNA is mixed with uh, reagents, and then amplification occurs. And you basically will get a result of MTB detected or not detected and resistance detected or not detected in an hour and 45 minutes. And the targets are the RPOB gene which the instrument very nicely has five molecular beacons for the various mutations within this refamping resistance determining region. Two or three words on culture that still come up on all types of boards. So we've had selective and non-selective media, which means we add antibiotics to make it selective and keep bacteria away and leave the microbacteria that are slower to you know, declare themselves or originally non-selective without uh, antibiotics and we use those in combination. Three types of media have been used to the present. It started with solid media egg-based greenish and that was the LJ or Lowenstein-Jensen medium that was a medium that had coagulated whole eggs and a little bit of an inhibitor, malachite green that gave it the green color. That's how doctors Lowenstein and Jensen contributed to the field of infectious diseases. We eventually made it more selective because we wanted to keep bacteria totally away if you're gonna leave this there for six weeks. And then selective LJ is this one with antibiotics added to it. Then came the era about 20, 25 years ago of solid media agar-based. They were clear and a lot easier to make, and Dr. Middlebrook created multiple permutations of his original agar-based medium that had no egg, and he called them 7H9, 7H10, 7H11, and many others. detect growth earlier than the egg-based media. And those can also be made selective with additional antibiotics to really keep uh, competing bacteria away. And the third and last of the media type is the broth-based or liquid media, which is the gold standard, and we are required to have a system that has this and then one of the other ones as a backup. And the broth in these systems is a permutation of Dr. Millbrook's 7H10 with, without the agar. For boards, MTB is no photochromogen or scotochromogens as some of those non-tuberculous mycobacteria are. MTB is rough and buff. It's boring. It's pretty much rough because it's not very smooth. It's globulated. And buff means cream colored. It doesn't have the beautiful pigments of the photochromagens, Consassia Marinum or the Scotochromogens. And this is one of the systems that just about every hospital laboratory has. It's one of the automated um, microbacterial culture systems that uses a broth medium. I'm only using one of the three or four systems out there in the interest of using a prototype. Uh, Certainly, I'm an academic pathologist who doesn't work for any company. This is the MBE Bacteria Alert 3D from BMRU. It uses a colorimetric photosensor bonded to the bottom of the bottle, and it's gonna use reflected light to measure CO2 produced by the bacteria growing in the medium. So there's going to be the food of the bacterium in the broth, right? It's, it, the bacterium is there, one of the mycobacteria. It's going to be using it and producing CO2, which will then go through the sensor, and it will, it's a CO2 sensor. It will change the color from an original, say, dark greenish, It's what, what it's used to be, to a, orangish and then yellow. So dark green is permutations of orange to a light orange yellow. And at that point, the instrument will flag itself by a light or alarm, and the tech pulls the bottle 24 hours a day, third shift can do it if they're not microbiologists and just do a smear, and report at least a smear to the laboratory. And these are systems that basically go on, 24 hours a day and they detect every 10 minutes. So they have become uh, invaluable in our quest for uh, quick time to positivity and ease. I mentioned the of mass spec, which is a type of proteomics, not genomics, proteomics. We're gonna pick up ribosomal proteins for identification and the last three manifestations that many people have been working on not perfected, but starting to come out are for mycobacterium, for yeasts, and for filamentous fungi, which are three of the toughest groups for many labs, and eventually, hopefully, so we don't have to use um, reference labs as much. So, the Maldi certainly is easier, less expensive, and faster and more accessible to re- routine micro labs that some of the older biochemical methods, and it's likely to become the method of choice for sure. Um, Issues with mycobacteria that we still need to work on, you have to process to kill the organism and to break open the cells. Um, And the databases for mycobacteria still have to be worked on, so we can eventually distinguish between the members of the NTP complex and other related groups and the same thing with the yeast and filamentous molds. Let's conclude with a little bit of anatomic pathology because many a times um, in a cancer hospital like this, uh, the clinicians in the OR are thinking, cancer one, cancer two, cancer three, and don't send anything to microbiology, so I have to make my call based on just pathology. So, gross pathologic findings of many of the agents of the genus Mycobacterium, particularly MTB, it produces what we call fibrocaceous or fibrocalcific lesions, and they may be due, when we see them, to uh, one of the deeper systemic fungal pathogens or to TB. So this kind of caseation, cheesy like necrosis, and I'll show it to you microscopically, could be due to agents such as Histoplasma capsulatum, histoplasmomas, coccidioides imitis or coccidioidoma, MTB, tuberculomas, or even cryptococcus, cryptococcomas can look like that. Um, When they spread uh, inside or outside the lung, we call that miliary spread, uh, as in seeds from the millet plant, and this would be um, miliary spread within the lungs, within the kidney outside of the lung, Liver and spleen. Microscopically, we're going to see what's called caseation necrosis, cheesy like necrosis in the middle of this type of inflammation called a granuloma. And if we're lucky, you will see the red snappers, and this is, this is going to be a rim of PMNs and fibrosis. And in the middle, the caseation you're lucky you'll see with your AP stain, the organism and a lot of Langhans giant cells. 20 years ago, I've been here very long, and we had cases of MA complex in the intestinal mucosa of some of our patients who had secondary malignancies due to HIV. And they came in and we saw the infections of HIV and we dealt with the malignancies of HIV. We have this very interesting patient who was HIV positive, who was being treated here for one of the lymphomas, B cell lymphomas. He also had capuchy sarcoma. And to make a long story short, a biopsy from the intestinal mucosa is sent to pathology, no culture there, so I go and look at the H&E, and boy, even a low-power view, and certainly a high-power view, those are foamy histocytes all over the lamina propria. When we ordered stains, this is a low-power view of the acid-fast stain, the high-power view showed that these were chock full of red snappers. And we're um, within culture, because there was nothing to culture, but if we had, I bet you it would have been one of the many cases we saw back in the 90s of MA complex enteritis. Other stains were done, and I use this for teaching because we talk about GMS as Gomorrah methanamine silver stain being a fungal stain, it is not. It is a silver stain that loves to stain fungi, but it will stain anything that's there in high quantity in terms of microbes. This is the same section, now stained with the Gomorrah methanamine silver stain, and they're chock full of these black staining bacilli, which were our mycobacterium. And back then we used to do EM which is great because now we see why under light microscopy oil, Mycobacterium is beaded because it has a huge amount of those mycolic acid vacuoles uh, followed by thin areas and another vacuum and another thin area. And that's what at the EM level explains why it's the beaded format at the oil uh, light microscopy level. We'll conclude with two words on leprosy. I told you there's two extremes, lepromatous and tuberculoid. Lepromatous tends to be progressive and fatal, produces diffuse disease, and microscopically, all we see is histocytes, very similar to what I showed you with that, the immune complex Patient uh, that had the HIV in the intestine, tons of histocytes, no lymphocytes, very little cell-mediated immunity, delayed-type hypersensitivity, and then we see this histocytes just plump with massive amounts of organisms in the fight stain. They're called globi, or globus singular, but it doesn't digest them. It eats them. It cannot digest them. It doesn't have all of the cytokines and additional help coming from the lymphocytes that are related to semi immunity. And thus, there's a negative lepromin test and lifelong treatment is needed. The is on the other extreme, that's a more limited and self-healing type of disease that produces a lot of macules and peripheral nerve thickening and pathologically, we see everything: epithelial cells, giant cells, non-caseating granulomas, and a plethora of lymphocytes helping out those epithelial cells. For, re- for that reason, very few organisms are seen in the fist; they're digested away, and that's what we call one of those posibacillary bacillary smears. The lepromin test tends to be positive, and these people, uh, the treatment can be stopped with healing. The Leprosy from the AjuPath uh, website which is very helpful. Early on um, through the more leonine or lion-like disfigured faces of this disease. And pathologically also from AjuPath, the Globi, which are those clumps of undigested um, mycobacteria Within the histocytes that allows the perpetuation of this type of disease. And on the other extreme, we have the tuberculoid that certainly loves to produce peripheral nerve thickening and more macular disease. I don't have a smear, but the smear would be pretty much uh, bacillary to nothing there, because eventually um, those agents are totally uh, digested and. And the, the patient has an opportunity to become better. In an hour, that's all we can cover. Um, we have eight more minutes, may I still go ahead? Sure. Okay, at the end I just throw two cases um, with a case study format when I use some of this material for um, national presentation and they'll help cement the concepts because I use material already presented during the, during the presentation. So let's start with case one. 33-year-old male, HIV-positive patient, followed at a cancer hospital for HIV-related malignancies. History of recurrent enteritis. Presents now with new GI complaints. He is and biopsied, and that is sent to surgical pathology. Nothing sent to microbiology. I'm gonna show you figures one and two, low and medium uh, power H and and then figure three, oil immersion and routine A stain. This was an early case in the 1990s. The condition shown was much more frequent then due to subsequent improvements in the pharmacological treatment of HIV. So what we're seeing here is a lamina propria that is chock full of um, foamy histocytes and a high-power view of the same thing. We cannot tell what's inside on an HNE, but then an acid-fast stain shows us um, cells that are just loaded with a plethora of these acid-fast organisms. We don't have culture, but the genus, based on morphology, that is most compatible with these clinical, pathological, and microbiological findings is, one, actinomyces. Two, mycobacterium, three, nocardia, four, rotococcus, five, streptomyces. What is it? Two, mycobacterium. <laughs> and I offer you some information in just in the interest of time. Let me just tell you what's in red. Although no culture in micro was present, an scenario of enteritis in HIV positive patients will argue in favor of probably being MAI MAC complex scenario that was not infrequent in the earlier HIV years. And then a reference, and then moving on to the last of the two questions. 72-year-old white man, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in remission, but is complicated by pure red cell aplasia, which is then treated with steroids. He admits to being a gardener and is working in his yard and now develops raised pustules nodular pustules above the eyebrow and a very painful swelling of the left forearm and wrist. So he comes back to his hospital, undergoes a City guided aspirate of the forearm swelling. They send material to micro, they send material to psychopathology. I'm gonna show you a gram stain from the aspirate. It reveals a beaded organism. I'm gonna show you an AFB stain, the routine Kenyan, which was negative. And then I'm going to show you a modification of that. And then I'm going to show you a culture of various types of agar media that grew the organism well and a colony morphology on a sabrose dextrose media for fungus. So this is basically the gram stain and it shows a filamentous gran- branching organism that is beaded, that in the modified acid fast stain is taking the carbelfuxin because we're using a weaker decolorizer. It is growing beautifully on Sabro's fungal media as a orangish, gritty uh, gritty organism. The genus that is most compatible with these clinical, pathological, and microbiological findings is actinomyces, mycobacterium, nocardia, rotococcus, streptomyces. i give you some information, and just in the interest of time, the agent may cause infections which present as localized skin involvement, as pulmonary neocardiosis, or as disseminated illness, predominantly in the immunocompromised patient population with a reference. That's all we can cover in the interest of time. Thank you for your attention.